Okay, here we go. All right, let's have a seat and get the show on the road. Um, I uh, there's a handout if you want it. Um, don't necessarily have to have it, but it's over by the tenants sheet. The um, we're gonna study First Samuel chapter twenty. So if you have a Bible, turn to it. Uh, we're gonna read it. They're long chapters, but um, I think it's good. All right, First uh, Samuel chapter twenty. And then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, "What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life?" And he said to him, "Far from it. You should not die." Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, Leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come. Let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you. And send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. Which is uh, can be translated differently. It's kind of a strange phrase. But anyways, okay. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? 
Jonathan answered Saul. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind, beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. All right. Well, there's a lot going on in this text, Um, but I needed to read it all because uh, that way, even if you don't remember it all, at least the Holy Spirit is inside you and doing something. All right, so what is this chapter about? Um, I have two questions, and uh, is this about Jonathan helping David escape Saul, or is it about David helping Jonathan escape Saul? And uh, it's the second one. Uh, David's really here to help Jonathan. Because the supper isn't there to tell David what he already knows, but to show Jonathan what he's unwilling to accept. So in the beginning of the chapter, David says, your dad's going to kill me. Jonathan's like, no, he's not. He doesn't keep anything from me. So he hasn't said this to me, so he's not going to kill you. And David, of course, knows that Jonathan is aloof to this. So he's like, okay, this is what we'll do. I'm not going to show up. If this happens or this happens, then we'll know. So um, this story is really about David acting like a friend and then John confirming his friendship with David. So friendship was already introduced in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's 1 through 4, 1 through 5. So Today we get what friendship, like what friendship is, what's how it's flushed out, what's required of friendship, how friends live together, and then expression of the, the actual relationship. So in this we find out that friendship, and biblically speaking, friendship is always a public act. It's never a private relationship. So this is pretty much fundamentally different than how we see friends today. (laughs) All right, so um, friendship. Now, the thing is, though, we'll find out that the biblical understanding of friendship has a longer history than how we understand friendship. And uh, we'll we'll see that today. Or at least we'll hope to begin to see that. Public act. Uh, Everyone knows who your friend is. There's no question... Hey, you guys friends? Everyone knows. Um, and, well, yeah, let's, we'll just, what do you mean by a public act? What is the only public act 
in our society where everyone knows your relationship with another? Marriage. It's a public act. You know that you're connected. Friendship, historically, has been the same. Similar. Not the same, I mean. Um, So much so that um, there was actually rituals done to profess this. And what sort of men... Well, I'm I'm mainly speaking from a man's perspective because I'm a guy, and Jonathan David are guys. so um, So much so that there's accounts in history where knights would enter into a covenant with another knight before they would enter into battle. And the phrase was wedded brothers. Now, wedded, of course, is not, you have to understand it in a kind of a more technical term, just you're joined. You're joined. I mean, that's what weddings, that's what the wedding means. But we'll, we'll find out, though, that there is, obviously, there's a fundamental difference between friendship and marriage. But, um, but so there was a public act. And the reason why that was done is because when knights, specifically, actually, I'll show you in this book. I forgot. I don't know. I wasn't thinking. I made copies of, I didn't make copies of this, but so I'll hand it around. But um, there is a, uh, like a tombstone, a grave of two knights. Oh, it doesn't have the date on here. But it's, um, it's from the Middle Ages, 1100s. And these two knights went to, uh, to, to Constantinople in a crusade, and they both died in the battle, and they were buried together. And you get to see what their gravestone looks like. It's really interesting. But they were wedded brothers. And the reason why that was is because when one died, someone had to take care of that guy. And, and the other guy made a commitment to him, a, a covenant, a promise to care for him. But not just in this life, but in the next. So, burial grave. Now, the thing was is that this, the, the guy who was supposed to take care of him, he also died a few days later. I mean, they both, so they were buried together. Very powerful image. But um, there's another picture in here, and I'll just hand it around. Now, so this is different than biblical times, of course. But what we, uh, I'm just kind of showing how this is not uncommon, is uh, another one where uh, another monument where two, two friends are s- stuck together. They're married. I mean, they're not married together. They're married, they have wives and children, but they have, they've had this public act of friendship, covenant. And then... Uh, for for me in particular, one of most the most well known recent one is uh, between John Henry Cardinal Newman and his friend Ambrose. That's a 20th century example. Well, turn of the century, turn of the century. One died one died in eight, the 19th century, and one died in the 20th century. So. Um, but it's um, pretty extraordinary. Okay, anyways, uh, here, I'll just, you can check it out. These are just cool pictures and stuff. This is a great book, by the way. It's called The Friend. Um, traces uh, friendship in England uh, from the Middle Ages to the 20th century. Mainly focuses on male relation, uh, friendship, but there is some female relationships in there, too. Friendships. Okay, anyways, so, uh, so we're going to talk about friendship mainly today because that's the primary mover and shaker in 1 Samuel chapter 20. But in order for us to kind of help us kind of put some flesh on what's happening here, there is a, um, a 12th century abbot, St. Alured of Revaux, which was actually in England. It's, it's, it sounds French to me, but it's in England. Um, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship. And it's a treatise on friendship taken from the scriptures. And he, he bases, so his main understanding of friendship is based on John chapter 15, 
when Jesus says to the apostles, no greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friends. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because whatever I've heard from the Father, I share with you. Okay. Um, but in terms of his examples, what is the, the ultimate example of friendship in the Bible? David and Jonathan, specifically chapter 20. So um, that's why I want to talk about friendship. What in the world is friendship? Friendships don't, uh, friendships are joined. Uh, God joins friends. And I just put nice three, three little quotes. Uh, so how the St. Alirid has a, it's a dialogue. So he writes a book, but it's really, it reads like a script, a conversation. And he has two friends that are asking him about his understanding of friendship. Because St. Alirid ha, uh, had such a reputation for friendship that it was known kind of all over England and, and France um, uh, the, at the, so his so okay so a little history behind him. Saint Alured actually is a uh, grandson of a pastor. So in England, priests married all the way up until the basically the 13th century. So he actually was a fam- from a family of pastors, and but, but when he lived, there was a there was a problem with pastors having children, because what happened was the pastor would hand off the church to his son, and it would just become now sort of like a kingdom. So, of course, what did the Pope decide to do? Well, they can't marry now. That will solve that problem, which, of course, I disagree with that strategy. All right. Anyways, so he was unable then to go into a parish so he ended up going into, well, he worked for the, the King of Scotland as his kind of chapel preacher or advisor, and then he ended up uh, taking over this monastery as abbot. And it became s- such a flourishing place because of him that it's, he started out with about 100 people in it, and when he died, there was 600, over 600 people in this. So as he's writing... He's, he has this context of, of French male friendship, and that's why he really draws upon Jonathan and David in his writing. And it's, it's very instructive, obviously, for us. There's a lot of practical aspects for us today. Um, all right, so anyway, so he writes this off, and he starts with this statement. You and I are here, so he's talking to his friend, and I hope that Christ is between us as a third. Yes, most beloved, open your heart and now pour whatever you please into the ears of your friend. Very beautiful image of how uh, Christ joins these two friends together. Now, um, what's interesting, though, is that friendship, you have to have God in this friendship. So the next statement is from paragraph 10. What statement about friendship can be more sublime, more true, more valuable than this? It has been proved that friendship must begin in Christ, continue with Christ, and be perfected by Christ. So we'll get in Jonathan to David here in one one quick second. And then just basic definition of friendship is agreement in things human and divine with goodwill and charity. That's just kind of what does friendship mean. So anyways, so in our chapter today, 1 Samuel 20 verse 23, and then also verse 42, we have this joining. Um, The Lord is between you and me forever. The Lord shall be between me and you. So you have these David and Jonathan, and, and God is in between them. Now, of course, on the other side of the resurrection, we would understand that person being Jesus between God and Jonathan. Um. So he's actually the glue or that which keeps them together. And what's interesting about this is that um, David and Jonathan's statement about my offspring and your offspring forever. So this is a, this is a little different than marriage because what happens when one dies? You're released from that, right? But friendship apparently has this kind of lasting, everlasting character to it. 
So that's, that's kind of interesting. That's important. Um, but anyways, the whole, the whole main thing is that friends are joined together. Now, the thing is, though, when they're, they're joined together, they don't face each other, but they face the same direction. So they're facing the same way. That is the primary image of friendship. Um, now, there's another picture in that book. I, I didn't include that, but that's the main image. Well, actually, there is the one. That's right. There's the one where the two, the two men are kind of facing the same place. Facing each other. Now, of course, for obvious reasons. I mean, we, we know, we talked about the theology of the body, right? So, so what, what happens in friendship is that you're facing together, but of course, who are you facing? God, right? And so what's interesting, it, it's primarily a discipleship perspective. You're, you're facing together the back of Jesus because he's leading you. Um. And, and so, obviously, that fits really well with what David and Jonathan are doing, right? We learn in, in chapter 17, David fights Goliath, right? But he fights him by God's power, by faith in God. And Jonathan, just before that, had done that with the Philistines again. Right? When he... Carol, can you shut the door? Yeah. Um, when, uh, you know, when he, he goes up the cliff. and So you have this, they're both facing the same direction. And, and it's after, in verse eight, um, chapter 18, where Jonathan sees David and he realizes that they have, they have this fundamental agreement between each other. This, okay, great. So, um, uh, so St. Allyred has three understandings of friendship. Carnal, worldly, and spiritual. Spiritual is really the only true understanding of friendship. Worldly, uh, I'm sorry, um, carnal relationship, uh, friendship is really based on, uh, like, sin. A conspiracy in vice, he says. And that could be a whole set of relationships. Um, one could say that this is Saul's understanding of relationships. Because what does Saul say to Jonathan? Uh, he expects Jonathan to what? To go get David and bring him here, right? Because he thinks Jonathan and himself are in this together, right? They're all about this earthly kingdom. And that's what Saul says to him, right? Hey, as long as the son of Jesse is alive, you're never going to have a kingdom, so he's trying to create a relationship based on this sin, murder. The other one, though, the worldly is enkindled by a hope of gain. So this is a, this is a hey, I'll be friends with you as long as I get something from you. Um, this would be a business friendship. You know? And I think that's kind of the, there's an underlying reality that most friendships are like this in today. So, um, and then, of course, the spiritual is, is uh, I like the word, cemented amongst the righteous by a likeness of lifestyle and interests. So the idea of being cemented, brought together um, by lifestyles and interests. So you're facing the same way. You're, you're pursuing the same things. Um, and then he actually, he roots this in creation in a beautiful way. So he, he says, this is the way we're meant to be. In a beautiful way, then, from the side of the first human, a second was produced so that nature might teach that all are equal, as it were, collateral. And that among human beings, and this is a property of friendship, there exists neither superior nor inferior. So you're, you're, t- you're in the same, same line. Now, of course, this is applied to Adam and Eve, which is kind of unusual, Adam and Eve, you both have an example of marriage and friendship. It's a very unique relationship. But, of course, when sin happens, it all falls apart. And this is where, then, um, kind of Jesus brings these back together. 
Not that the fulfillment of friendship is in your, like for a spouse, but it's the fulfillment in another. And um, you see that example in Jesus, which we'll get to. All right, so then now we have in 1 Samuel 20, verse 4, although it's, it's, it's in other places, but this is the shortest verse. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do. So, see, David is trying to get Jonathan to see in the same direction. He's trying, to, he's trying to show Jonathan, listen, your dad wants to kill me. Now, what's interesting, though, in verses um, 6, I think it's, oh, yeah, okay, so, yeah, verse 3, just before the verse that, that's in the handout. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But as truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So David is trying to help Jonathan understand what their covenant means in, verse, in chapter 18. What goes for him goes for you. So what's interesting is David is actually putting Jonathan in a very precarious place. But David feels like this is the only way that's going to wake him up to the reality or to the ramifications of his friendship with him. Jonathan thinks, oh, no, no, no. My dad, my dad doesn't want anything, you know, he has no harm against you. And he understands that, though, as, well, my dad hasn't done anything to me. He's not going to do anything to you. So, again, David is the one who's really guiding and teaching Jonathan. So, what he does is... He, he, in a sense, David is an authority over Jonathan, but he's trying to bring Jonathan up to the same level. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, so David says there's, uh, there's uh, one step between me and death, right? But he, also, he just said before this, with the phrase, um, your own soul. Uh, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives. So... He's making this statement that what God is God has joined us together. So between me and death and, and your, you. Um, and that's why Jonathan says to David, whatever you say, I'll do. So Jonathan is putting himself, he's trusting David. Yeah, Holly. In other words, the emperor is all not Right. Or, or, or the fact that Jonathan needs to understand that if David did what Jonathan asked, David's going to die. And, uh, and the fact is that um, what's Jonathan going to do if he's in, the, in, the, in this same place where Saul's trying to kill David? What will Jonathan do? Yeah, defend him. What will happen to Jonathan once he defends David? Yeah, and in fact, what does happen? Jonathan tries to defend David, and he gets the spear thrown to him. So David is understanding this whole situation where, listen, Jonathan, if I come to dinner, we're both going to die because you're going to try to help me and you're going to die. So I'm not going to come to dinner. And really, he's, he's really hoping that Jonathan's not going to die if he's not there. What's that? He's protecting Oh, That's exactly right. Yeah, he is protecting him. This is why this is not a story about how Jonathan's helping David. This is all about David helping Jonathan. And that has to be our frame of mind when you read that. Okay. Um, so anyways, so J- David's really trying to understand, hey, we're both about following the Lord, and this is what it means. Of course, what does it mean for Jonathan to follow, to face the same direction? It means he must give up something. Not only the kingdom... His father, he's got to give his father, he's got to give up his family. So that mimics then also to Jesus' words to the disciples. You have to give up your family. Actually, you have to hate, hate your mother and father, right? So what, what's happening is Jesus redefines the family. He's not trying to hate the family. He's redefining the family according to God. And that is precisely what happens in 1 Samuel 20, is that Jonathan and David now are are family, in a sense. They're, they, but they're redefined it, not according to blood, but according to God. And there could be an argument that 
Jonathan is actually, when he says friends, uh, we always think like they're buddies. Um, it's more to that. In fact, David is, is already taking his place of kingship in this circumstance. Jonathan is listening to David as if he is already king. Yeah. Shirley. He's also showing his unconditional love. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Which? But to two of them, but also the unconditional love that he has to control. And that, that's exactly right. So that goes to the last point, which we won't get to quite yet. Friendship has limits. Now, when we think of limits, we think of, like, keeping things in or keeping things out. But what this means, friendships have limits, is anything less than this is not friendship. And anything less than dying for your friend or unconditional love is not friendship. And so Jonathan's showing that. That's right. Is there a question over here? Right. That's right. In fact, friends do not withhold things from one another. John chapter 15, Jesus says precisely this. I call you friends because I've shared everything with you. So Jonathan, again, considers his father. Now, again, I use this word friendship in a technical sense because I'm not, you know, we all... I mean, you can be friends with your father and mother, right? But at the same time, you still have this, you still have their authority over you, right? So, I mean, they're still your father and mother. So, um, the, uh, so yeah, so Jonathan, and, so Jonathan considers his relationship with his father very close. And this is why when he, Saul throws the spear at him, uh, again, it's... Um, Verse 34, and Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. We think it more of like disrespect with those words, but he was ungraceful, lack of grace, so it's, he's disregarded him as a son. Krista. Yeah, I just was thinking that uh, Jonathan really didn't see that Saul was very, very jealous about David. Yeah, right. No, no, I mean, David, uh, so Saul, what was Saul going after was completely different than Jonathan. And Saul and Jonathan had no idea that this was happening. He really felt like Saul was a faithful man doing what he should be doing. Yeah, but that wasn't the case. Um, okay, great. So, um Friendship doesn't come by, about by chance, but is created. So this is the other thing that's really different, and this kind of goes to the public act aspect. You just don't become friends. You decide to become friends. So uh, the, 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 the quote from uh, Alured at the bottom of that front page, you notice then the four steps that lead to the perfection of friendship. The first is choice. You've got to choose somebody. The second is testing. That is kind of like, hey, are we, are we in this? The third is acceptance, and the fourth, the highest agreement in things divine and human with a certain charity and goodwill. So um, we see this then, of course, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 11. Jonathan said, far be it from you, if I knew that I was determined, that it was determined by my father what harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? Meaning, are you going to tell me? Because if Jonathan doesn't come, what could David presume? Well, he's dead or, or he's in cahoots with Saul. Yeah. So he's testing. David's testing the relationship right now by doing this. And Jonathan says, of course, if he answers roughly, I'm going to come to you. The next thing then is in verse 16 and 17. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So he's, they're accepting this relationship, and they're entering into this, this um, unity. Well, I mean, they, they started the relationship in verse 18, or chapter 18. So 
who knows? We don't, I mean, a relatively short time, yeah. Uh, now, again, uh, w because of, it wasn't really till Goliath that anybody really knew David. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, yeah, so you have this testing going on. Again, Jonathan, what we know now is that Jonathan was all in on his relate friendship with, with David. But David wasn't really quite sure. Because David is wondering, does he just have a relationship with me because he knows I'm going to be king? Am I, is he going to get anything out of this? Uh, or is he having a relationship with me so that he can kill me, so that he can hang on to what he already is given? So it makes sense that he's doing these things. Yeah, Holly. Well, it's more natural, I would say, because, again, we, what we know of Jonathan is that he's all in, but it's just that he's, I would say he's pretty naive about David. I mean, uh, about Saul. Right, so it's a very realistic thing happening here, is that, think about this, you're learning about your, your family who you've loved and cared for your entire life, and you found out they're against what you consider the most uh, holy thing, you're, you know, God. They're against God. So again, David, I think, is very, very caring towards Jonathan because he understands there's, the only thing that's really going to um, change this is if Jonathan dies to his old relationship. And, and for lack, of, I mean, he doesn't actually die, but when that spear is thrown, his relationship is dead. With uh, Saul. Um, again, we're talking very spiritually because he, he stays in the house of Saul. I mean, he doesn't like move out and, you know, move, you know, move across the state or whatever. I mean, because, um, spoiler alert, they die together in battle, Saul and Jonathan. But Jonathan was married. Huh? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, he has married children, yeah. But I mean, they died in battle meaning that Jonathan didn't leave Saul's house. So even though their relationship was dead, it, it, it's not like he you know, moved to California. He stayed in the house. He, he lived with Saul. So on a kind of a more literal perspective, they still had a relationship with one another. It just, it just wasn't what it was. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, yeah, exactly. I'm sure Jonathan... But again, Jonathan had the favor of God, so I think Jonathan trusted the fact that God would take care of him. I mean, within the house. That's my that's speculation. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that way one, one way or the other. Okay, so again, um, this is very important that, uh, that we understand then that this relationship between Jonathan and David is not emotion-driven. Okay? I mean, this is very intentional thought out, you know, there's actions attached to this. Because again, for most of us today, have friends we like, right? I mean, we just kind of gravitate towards them. But Jonathan and David are, the thing that holds them together is, is God. In fact, that's what we see in chapter 18, is after jo David tells the story of slaying Goliath, Jonathan's like, their soul's is that my next thing? Their souls are, yeah, their souls are knit together. So anyway, so that then comes, friendship creates a union that lasts forever. Now again, their union is not marriage. Okay? So this is a little tangent. I think I might have said this before, is that there's, there's two relationships in Holy Scripture where the crucifixion or unconditional love is, is like symbolically shown or analogized. One is marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, right? The husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, giving himself up for her, sacrificing, dying for her. And then the other relationship is friendship. In John 15, no greater love has no man than he lays it on his life for his friends. In that dying for the other, union is created, or relationship, or unity. I mean, they're together. But of course, in marriage, that's understood in, in sex, 
But in friendship, it's actually understood in the death itself. And that's why you have knights, manly of all men, entering into these relationships where we would be like, whoa, that's not how guys act today. <laughs> guys don't act that way anymore. They do, yeah, some do and some don't. In fact, actually, I would say that most of them now, especially young, young men, don't. The lack of friendships is uh, kind of like epidemic. Yeah. But we're here to talk about the Bible. Okay. So, um, so what we find out here then is uh, friendship is that virtue, therefore, through which by a covenant of sweetest love our very spirits are united and for many are made one. Hence, even the philosophers of this world place friendship not among the accidents. That's kind of philosophical language. They just don't happen, but these are the things that God provides for us to live. Solomon seems to agree with them in the verse from Proverbs, a friend loves always, Proverbs 17, 17. So he obviously declares that friendship is eternal if it's true, but if it ceased to exist, then although it seemed to exist, it was not true friendship. That is then the definition of, goes back to... um, Jesus, and love, is understood in a variety of different ways. But Jesus, in John chapter 13, loved his disciples, his apostles to the end, it says. And he loved them to the end. So, um, the sad, kind of the irony is that you know you truly have a friend when, in fact, they die for you. Okay, great. So friendship bears fruit in our present life and in the next. That's just kind of this understanding that your friend... So friendship, uh, this relationship that friendship creates actually helps you in your discipleship. It helps you become a better Christian or be more faithful to Christ. Um, Again, this is what David's doing with Jonathan, right? He's trying to understand God's will in this situation and the ramifications of David being the anointed one of God, the promised king. All right, so now we see here that is that uh, I brought up Samuel 18, 4, just to show, actually, it's not 1 through 4, it's just verse 1. Um, they knit, they were knit together. That's passive, by the way. They didn't knit themselves, they were, they were knit together. Um, and then verse 42 of, of 20 again, this idea that they're going to be together, their, their relationship has everlasting or forever effects. So again, John, David and Jonathan are knit together by God. Their fellowship is based on covenant and not chance. Promise. I made a promise. And then they'll die fulfilling that. Again, so why does Jesus love you? Because you're awesome, right? Because you're perfect, you've never sinned, and you're worthy of that love, right? That's, I mean, I go to church to hear that. That makes me feel better, right? Okay, no. God loves you because he decided to love you. He made a promise, and he's not backing out on it, okay? So that is the same then how we, the only way we can love a friend is by God's loving us first. Christ becoming friends with us in order to, yeah. But so we make this promise. All right, now the thing is, though, friendship is embodied, meaning that it's fleshed out. It's not, again, it's not emotional. I just don't feel like a friend to you. (laughs) Okay. Um, There's, um, which then comes to the kiss, right? There's David and Jonathan kiss. It's It's kind of strange for some of us to hear this. Hence, a friend clinging to a friend in the spirit of Christ becomes one heart. So this is St. Alliard now. Becomes one heart, one soul with him, thus mounting the steps of love to the friendship of Christ. Primary about Christ. A friend becomes one with him in one kiss of the spirit. So then he lays out, there's three kinds of kisses. The one that's made with the lips. The one that's kind of made with the the mind. And then the spiritual joining of spirits. It's a spiritual kiss. So... um, but you can have all three in an act. And I'll, I'll show you. I got a, little, I got a couple of video clips from, 
I think, one of the greatest movies of friendship, Lord of the Rings. So this will flush it out. Um, Yeah, it really is. It really is the the greatest story of friendship too. So, all right. Anyways, that's beside the point. But I just want to show you that Jonathan and David kissing and weeping with another. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? But it's not that weird. Okay. Um, there's another great quote. I just I won't I really won't dive into that. But um, it just reiterates the same thing we already said. So Jonathan then, of course, David and Jonathan, they fall to the ground, they kiss, and they weep one another. David and Jonathan share this embodied moment of friendship. David genuflects, so he's showing honor to Jonathan. Same honor that Jonathan's already showed David by doing what he's asked. And then. They realize that, I mean, David, Jonathan and David realize that this, is not, this public act of, of re- friendship has these real-world consequences, and they know that it's going to require a lot out of them to live this way. So I, I think it's a very powerful scene. I mean, this is really like, it gets me when I read this. Because David is a strong man. Jonathan is a strong man, right? I mean, he kicks butt, um, and yet they have this great relationship with one another. Carol. That's what I mean. Yeah, right. Exactly. He's showing honor in all the right aspects, just like David shows honor to Saul. We'll find this out. I mean, David has a couple chances of just killing Saul. But he doesn't. In fact, he actually, other people want to kill Saul for David, and he says, don't do it. It's the Lord's anointed. Only one who can take care of Saul is God. So again, yeah, I mean, David's showing this, this honor. That's right. Um, okay, great. But I already mentioned, friendship has this, these limits. But not limits in the sense of like, you can only do so much. It's, it's the opposite. It's the, it's the bottom. If you do less, then it's not friendship. So, um, of course, it's, it's the laying down the life of their friend, according to John fifteen thirteen. So, um, you aren't friends who have carnal desires. And this is, he actually speaks to homosexuality in this instance, but in a variety of other things, too. Um, so, you can't be friends if you both want to rob a bank. You know, if you really hate someone, you can't be friends. And, of course, this is really drives a lot of relationships today, right? Hey, we're, we're really good friends because we, we hate the Republican Party or we hate the Democrats or we hate whatever. Okay? Um, you aren't friends with those who want something out of you. So, I mean, this is abusive relationships. If you feel like people only talk to you because they want something from you, then you should... That's it. You're done. I mean, finito. And, um, I mean, you should maybe give that person a chance to repent, but... Now, this might sound harsh, but I didn't bring this up into this in the outline, but there's a difference between charity and friendship. Now, in English, we kind of... So, the love of God is for who? Everyone. Well, if we're supposed to love like God, what does then that say about relationship? Or friendship? We should be friends with? No. So anyway, so friendship, friendship is particular. Well, well, like, um, so, lo- so the love of the friend is particular. And Christ drives that love. But love as, um, you know, God loves is universal. So the thing is, this is real practical. If you love everybody the same, then can, yeah, then can you have friends? No, you can't. It's impossible. So love is particular. I mean, friendship love is particular. And that's precisely what we see in John chapter 15. How many people did Christ say he was friends with? Twelve. Yeah. 
Now, that does not disagree with the love he showed on the cross, okay? And that does not mean you're exclusive. It just redefines what friendship is. I mean, it doesn't really define it, redefine it. It actually shows what true friendship is. So in a sense, you love everyone. You even love your enemies. But can your enemy be your friend at the same time? No, they can't be. Now again, we're talking very specific and almost technical here. Well, you have to agree with Jesus, right, Carol? Okay, so he says, love your enemies. So I'm talking in that in that instance. Yes, theologically speaking, our own enemy is Satan. But the workers of Satan become our enemies. But that doesn't mean we just kill them or destroy them. I mean, that's what love of enemies means. So, you know, we have to be specific here. The, the thing is, though, is that this is really important because friendship has limits, and that's good. In fact... Uh, St. Alliard will say, and then he actually shows how, I mean, how many friendships are described in the Bible. Not that many. So the, the scriptural evidence pans out that when Christ talks about being friends, he, he doesn't mean friends with everyone. In fact, you can't be with friends with everyone because that's anti-friendship. Because how can I trust you if you're friends with everyone? If you say you're friends with me, how can I trust you? It's hard. To, it's yeah. It, it renders it. It renders it meaningless. Yeah. So this is important though, because um, then you can you can have a great relationship with lots of people. You, I mean, you can love a lot of people, and you can be what we would say maybe close to a lot of people. But you really can't be friends with a lot of people. I mean, you have the exceptions throughout history. Now, the thing thing about God, though, is peculiar, and Jesus is peculiar, right? Because he loves everyone, and he loves them in a particular way. So, by the way, guys, you are not God. So, knowing now that we're not God, we're released from that burden, and we can have a clear conscience in loving, you know, our these specific people, okay? Again, then that goes through the a process of how you find a friend. You, you, you choose them, you test them, you accept them, and then you are unified. So you could find out that, you know, somewhere along that process, you're not going to be friends. The other thing, too, about friendship is that you can have... Um, the word carnal is maybe too strong of a word, but you can have friends that, or you can have relationships with people you like. You just like hanging out and it could, be, it could be just your bowling friends. You know, we have those kind of people, right? Yeah, it, it's really only that, but you know, you're not hanging out at, at you know, Day's Bowler Dome in Wausau, Wisconsin, smoking a cigarette and drinking a Miller High Life, sharing your, your soul to them, right? You're just enjoying yourself bowling. Okay, and that's okay. All right, so, so again, I'm not, it's not like we're like curmudgeons only with everyone except for our friends, right? I mean, so we have to kind of understand that what I'm talking about here is that it's okay to have friends are the people you die for. Um, again, following Jesus. But um, die, and die in a very particular way by choice. All right, great. So uh, it's a couple questions. Krista. What's that? Yeah. Right, he loved them, yeah. Yeah. He didn't call them friends, though. And that's important because that's from the same book of the Bible, actually. So if you take a look at love in John, I mean, John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world. Great. But then in John 15, he says, I love you this way, and only you. All right, so um, again, you cannot, I'm helping you distinguish these two, not, not separating them or putting them antithesis to one another. Because friendship 
is another way to experience God or through friendship. You're just, you're, you're the discipleship of friendship, of relationship. It's another milieu, just like marriage, where you can kind of understand how God loves you. All right, Holly and then Julia. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, because we're not God, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. Um, uh, in fact, St. Alirad, these, these guys, he, he, you know, he writes this book, but, you know, he throws these characters in it. And, and one of them actually says this. He's like, hey, you know, I used to have real close relationships with these guys, but we just kind of drifted apart. And St. Alirad says, well, that's, celebrate those times, but you probably weren't friends in the technical sense of the word because friendship lasts forever. Again, think about it in terms of love, right? If you fall out of love, were you really love in love in the first place? Uh, it's, it's, it's a good debate, but I would say no. Okay? Because if you love according to God, he loves fully. Now, of course, English, we only have one word for love. So this is where things get a little complicated. So we always have to add a, a, a descriptor to that love. Julie. That's exactly right, yep. Yeah, so he had his inner circle. Yeah, now the interesting thing, this is more of an exegetical thing, is that um, those are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John, when he talks about his friends. Yeah, so. But again, that wouldn't, you wouldn't want to put that, pit that against each other. It just, it just proves the point, though, is that he's got this intimate relationship with a few. Yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. I didn't even think about that until right now. Because I don't think, because I don't, I mean, I don't think the transfiguration is in John. Um, John, James and John don't ask, the, you know, who can sit on your right and left in, John, in the Gospel of John. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The raising of, um, what's her name? Where he brings James and John into the room, Peter. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Don't you have a name though? Is it just Jerry's daughter? Tabitha. Is it Tabitha? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't. That doesn't happen, John. I know for sure. All right. Great. Well. Anyways. There you go. You can you can write a, a nice little paper on the distinctions between friendship. There you go. All right. Great. Um, now. Okay, so Jonathan is willing to die for David, you know, and of course it's not until that death hack sort of happens that he knows the fullness of his relationship with David. So, all right, um, I'm just going to show these video clips because I like I like them a lot. They're real short. All right, the first one is um, so Lord of the Rings is a is a novel written by J.R. Tolkien. He um, it's, it's about a, a journey of um, Frodo and, Sam, oops, and Samwise Gamgee. And Frodo has to, he said on a special um, journey to destroy this ring, and he thinks he has to go it alone. But Sam has, well, we'll find out. All right, uh, let's pray, and then we'll skedaddle. Anyways, the whole point was is that, you know, friendship is uh, a real thing and we should recover it. Oh, I, and I, I, at the end of your handout, if you want to read more about St. Alirid, and he has a long kind of discourse on Jonathan and David from book three of spiritual friendship. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.